0: So welcome, everyone, tonight. I want to start by thanking Lindell for taking the talk last week. I heard it was well-received. I also heard that there were a lot of questions that you wouldn't have asked me. <laughs> I'd like to uh, encourage you to ask the questions, regardless of how safe you feel in asking them. If we could light those lights back up again, please, uh, for the cameras. They need to be on each side. Thank you. Uh, I was under the oppressive sun of Hawaii is <laughs> <It was> awful. <laughs> but uh, I enjoy coming back and uh, do want to have you relax with this subject, not feeling as if it's outside your range of, uh, of scrutiny or of understanding. However you begin to access it is fine. Uh, and just your willingness to be determined in your orientation and in your your intention to discover where the Buddha is pointing through these links of dependent origination. Uh, It's quite amazing. You know, when I take on a subject, I always learn about the subject. It always deepens my understanding even if I did this repeatedly for a number of years, every talk would somehow strengthen a certain uh, intention to move further into that very subject. So I want to just make this as accessible as it can be, but also it needs your intention. If you think from the start, "Oh, this subject is beyond me," then it will be, because you won't even have tried to to rub up against it to get it familiar for you but any familiarity at all is a growing uh, orientation to a depth that will take you and lead you uh, to its um, to its wisdom so please not not to shy away from these topics and so we're starting now uh, the sequence of, of uh, dependent origination chains as they are described in the literature understanding that you can really move these chains around and they all make complete sense in whatever order you put them. Like tonight, for instance, uh, we'll be talking about ignorance. Well, ignorance is kind of the prerequisite for anything to be believed in. For anything to be established and fixed, there has to be some basis of ignorance invested in that particular idea or assumption about that thing. So, So you say, okay, it's the first cause it's the first link, right? The most important link. Well, the, the Buddha does put it at the beginning of the link, but then if you move to the end of the link, you've got to have somebody who's ignorant, don't you? You have to have somebody who is unwilling to look. You have to have the somebody who is habituated in such a way that refuses to look or makes the assumption that they don't need to look. So is ignorance at the beginning? where it sets the stage for all of those sequential uh, chain of events, or is it at the end that already establishes the person to be ignorant so that the chain can begin, you see? So you can put it anywhere, really. And it does follow every single one of these links. So what do I mean by ignorance? Ignorance is the unwillingness to look, to see. It's the way that we orient ourselves to a kind of logic of the world in which we sort of get up out of bed knowing what everything is. The orientation, the perception of everything. Not only the individual things that we see, but also just the fact that I'm here getting out of bed and I have work to go to and the whole mapping out that we do psychically all requires a certain assumption to be uh, behind uh, behind that map in order to move it forward. Well, that's all based in ignorance. It's based in not willing to look again. Now here's the problem uh, with ignorance, and it's a big problem, is that it needs to be in place for us to assume ourselves. That's a big problem, because then when you start working on the very essence of ignorance, you begin to wonder whether you're, you're, you know, moving in a way that, is going to ultimately undermine you which you are you aren't going to be undermining your freedom you're going to be enhancing your freedom but the thought does occur to you that you're you're kind of using the very eraser to wipe yourself off the board and you sort of pause in that attempt say why don't i just put the eraser down and let the board be Right? So that's the kind of hesitation that many of us give to the subject of of dependent origination. And uh, it requires a sign of kind of commitment of spirit to, to move into it. But in our own time, I'm not trying to shove you faster than your readiness or trying to force any sense of readiness in you, but rather just the sense of interest, or inquiry, or inquisition, like, what, what's, what is all this? Uh, sometimes people move from that spirit, sometimes people move from a deep urgency, uh, a deep pull in their hearts. There are lots of different motivating reasons, but both, mostly it comes from a real desire to know what is true. That sort of is the, the creative first force through which all of this uh, begins to be revealed. So this sense of moving from unconsciousness, which is ignorance, uh, to consciousness, which is the absence of ignorance. Okay, that's, that, you might say, is the continuum of the spiritual journey. And so when we begin, we're very steeped in ignorance. And mostly what we do is out of ignorance. It's all out of ignorance because we don't know any better. Uh, But we have to do something, so we just kind of dive in, which is fair enough. Um, But that's. But you can. It's also a little bit like cement, because if you stay too long in what you do, you get frozen in that kind of habit pattern, the way you're seeing it, the way you are using the meditation, and it starts getting very encrusted around you. So it's good to to sort of brush yourself off and move into different perspectives, listen to different teachers. Sort of get yourself moving so that the cement doesn't fix as readily. And, uh, you know, you sit down and you think you have it all figured out what the meditation is. And you go for a couple of months in that direction and your meditation begins to deepen and you see what you've been missing and you see what the assumptions have led to. And all of a sudden you have this new idea of what meditation is now based upon your new area of seeing and you've got it now figured out. And each time you do that, you actually increase, your your understanding is increasing, and your wisdom is deepening, and your insight is maturing. Uh, But at each step, uh, until you get to a, you know, at each step, you think that you now have it figured out. At least I did. And until you finally figure out that you don't ever have it figured out. (laughs) that figuring it out is the problem, and that's a step in and of itself. When you think you have it figured out, see, it's all paradoxical, so I'm, (laughs) I'm, (laughs) it's gonna, you know, it's confusing. So when you think you have it figured out, that's the very, that's the very ingredient of ignorance you're inviting in, because the absence of ignorance is the wonderment of life, you see? So it's just a, it's just an interesting it's just an interesting to move through this thing because most of us get involved in a tradition because we want the assurance of all those who have figured it out before us behind us and we get involved with practices and repetitively so that we can be certain that we're moving in a way that moves us towards some goal that we anticipate and each step along the way we feel very reassured in the direction we're taking, all to realize that all of those assumptions are based in ignorance. You see, so this is, you might say in some ways that ignorance is the cleaning of the plate because it's the unfixed position, which is not ignorant. See? So anytime we fix, we can be assured that we are we are fixing ourselves within that. So, the the uncertainty of whether we want to go through this is, you know, and really dig to the roots of where this is going to take us is something that each of us have to consider along the way. But you can be sure of one thing. If you're there, so is ignorance. You might say ignorance is (laughs) self-maintenance. And so, you know, but get used to it. What dispels ignorance is your willingness to question. A genuine n- willingness. You can't force it because w- what is forcing it? There can't be you forcing it or that's ignorance forcing itself into the... You see, so, but there is a genuine heart yearning, which I spoke about earlier, which is not compelled by the sense of self you may uh, you may claim ownership of it possession of it but it's not claimed by you it can't be claimed by you in fact the the more lucidly aware you become the less self that there is available and the more that yearning manifests so you can be assured that it's from the lack of you that it arises not from the presence of you and so as you start feeling this sense of wonderment or this sense of curiosity where the heart naturally turns as to where it it has habituated itself, where it is confused, where it doesn't understand, where there's something going on that is bewildering to it. So it turns very naturally, not through your force and need and your desire and your determination—it turns very naturally towards that subject and asks a very innocent question, like "What's going on here? What is this?" Um, it do- doesn't have a compelling motivation behind it to get rid of it. It has what's driving it is a curiosity about it, and that's a very that's a very heart-centered motivation, curiosity, just wonderment, like "What's what is this?" That's as innocent as we'll ever be when we ask that kind of question. Do you, do you, it's like the little child who turns up stones in the pond. You know, it's like, oh wow, what is this? What's going? On? Wow, what's that thing? That, that. And so there's a beautiful part of each of us that exposes itself, but but very quickly the self comes in and claims ownership of it. You know, like. God, I am so desperately desiring to know what's going on. You know, so the innocence becomes clouded with, I mean, yeah, the innocence becomes configured within the, within the ignorance. So it's, it's okay. You know, so It's not like, oh, I've done something wrong and my practice is going backwards. It's not, it's just to realize that it's just going to claim ownership. That's what the sense of me does. It likes to own things. If you look at your life, you should be able to see that. (laughs) All of us are owners, you know, and and so the more, you see, because the heart is naturally connected and the mind doesn't have any natural way to connect because it configures the world to be distant from it. The only way it can connect is to try to bring things closer to it. So proximity is its method of connecting that's why we try to own that's why we try to possess and so and that's not very satisfying because it's like rubbing two billiard balls up against each other and get together you know it just doesn't work and the heart in its innocence already is connected so it doesn't have to do anything to the material forms of the world to bring any more sense of connection than it already has but those two those two paradigms keep conflicting with one another because we keep bringing the ignorance of me in to the heart's innocence and confusing the two. And it's only through that willingness to question and to look and to see. You see, although you can't quite figure out innocence or uh, ignorance in terms of definition, you can be sure of one thing that you can, dis, the, the one quality of, this, of spiritual journey that eradicates ignorance is awareness. That's the one tool, we have the tool, everyone here has the tool in completion. The one tool you need, because if ignorance is not seen and you're willing to see, That's all there is, is your willingness to see. The willingness to see, I shouldn't say. Your willingness to see is a little funny. But the willingness to see dispels the ignorance. So that's it. You see, it's like it can't sustain itself if you're willing to look. So every one of us have a complete, you know, it's a complete package here. It's not like you're missing anything. What you might be missing is your willingness to look. I don't know if you have that willingness. I can't give you that. But you don't need any more awareness. You have all the awareness you need. That's the looking. It's already seen. It's looking right out of your eyes in this moment. That's how close it is to us. All we have to do is turn it to what we are afraid to see. And then we are dispelling ignorance. Just turning awareness. You're already looking at something. (laughs) You're seeing something, the awareness is there. Now just turn it towards what you don't want to see, right? What you're afraid of looking at. As if that wasn't already active. What we're afraid of is I really start looking at it, my God, I've got to own it. No, you already own it by your unwillingness to look at it. That's the ownership. Your willingness to look at it allows you to disown it. Isn't that, do people, are you following that? Yeah. It's all crazy up here. <laughs> it's another way of saying that. <laughs> so ignorance can be passive. Oh, wait a minute, I've got something to read. <laughs> from, uh, this is from the Samyutta Nikaya. It's on sorrow, okay? So uh, Kasapa is somebody who approaches the Buddha. Is suffering brought about by myself alone, good Buddha? asks Kasapa. No Kasapa. Then by another? No Kasapa. <laughs> then both together, myself and another? No Kasapa. <laughs> then it is brought about by chance? No Kasapa. Then there is no suffering? No Kasapa. <laughs> It is not that there is no suffering, for there is suffering. Well, then perhaps you neither know nor see it, Buddha. Ooh, (coughs) he's getting a little testy there. (laughs) It is not that I don't know suffering or don't see it. I know it well and see it. But to all my questions, good Buddha, you have answered no, and yet you say you know suffering and see it. Please teach me about it. Now he's becoming humble again. Kasapa, there are two wrong views. One says that oneself is the entire author of a deed and all consequential suffering one brings upon oneself. And this is so from the beginning of time. The other wrong view says that it is deeds by other people that bring about my own suffering. You should avoid both these views, Kasipa. Here we teach another way all deeds whether your own or another's are conditioned by ignorance and that is the origin of this whole mass of suffering by ending that ignorance in yourself and by way of yourself and others wisdom comes into being and the suffering ceases you can see you know how steeped in ignorance we are because we're lost in those two views aren't we what's your fault it's my fault I'm the one. Of course it's my fault. My mother told me it was. You know, it's like or it's your fault. If it's too painful for us to assume our fault, we'll, we'll blame it on others. And we just keep going back in that kind of rhythm because that's all the mind knows is you or me. That's that's the only two places it can land. So the Buddha is asking us to land in the relationship that's creating the division of you and me. That's not seeing. That's being caused by ignorance, by not seeing the truth. And so he's inviting us in to the sequensation of how that arises, how I say me, how I say you, and how I blame you or me for the suffering at hand. You see? And so this, this system is an invitation, not a demand. No one can m- demand you to see No one should ever demand you to see. This is of your own volition. This is of your own intention. It can only be that way because it will only be genuine seeing if you're not being compelled through force of your own compulsion or someone else's to see because a compelling or compulsive sense to see is you bringing ignorance along in your seeing. So I keep striking that chord, so that you, you'll know it in yourself, and you'll also know that this is a that this is free floating here. This is complete. This is complete. This is up to you. You know, you're just. This is all all everything I'm saying is just to gather the storm, the ingredients of the storm, so that it, the storm in you sufficiently, so that it can the downpour can happen. So that the flowering of your own nature can occur so the this um the sense of ignorance I was mentioning before I read that it can be both passive and active now passive ignorance is kind of you know it's just the assumptions we've made about the world and we no longer even question them anymore it's just I get up and I see you. So the assumption is, I'm here, you're there. That's just it. I never question it. I go through. Most people go through their life just playing that assumption out, and that's just the way life is. So those are that's passive ignorance. Now, let me say something about passive ignorance. It is the passive ignorance that is, of course, the most entrenched because we're just assuming this to be the nature of life. And that's where the dependent origination is inviting us in to really look at this thing again, to see it, and to break apart the habitual way that we suppose life to be. We have to want that. We have to want to sort of get a sense of whether these patterns, these this these assumptions have any basis of truth, okay? So that's really where much of Dharma lies. And of course, passive ignorance is prodded, we're prodded forth to look at those assumptions because if you don't, you're in pain. You get, you get pain as the result of not looking. And so, okay, you say, okay, I'm in pain. And then of course, what do you do with pain? You don't say it's because I'm not, I'm assuming life to be different than the way it is. You say, you 're no good, or i 'm no good, just what the Buddha was saying. So you see, this is an invitation to look deeper than just finger pointing here, uh, but it 's all motivated by pain, really i mean that's most of us, if we settle too long, if you stop meditating for too long you 'll find you you spike in pain, you just start increasing in intention and in reactivity, and you just you get more. Frenetic and anxious and it just starts spinning out of control. Crazy making. So many of us kind of monitor our pain and we just bring enough meditation to keep it to the point where it's manageable. We don't want to go any deeper than that because it rocks the boat too much. So we'll keep it manageable. So I'll sit, I've figured it out, if I sit 30 minutes every day, I can keep it so that I don't, I'm not quite as reactive. That's the way we look, many of us, in terms of our meditation. All right, so that's fine if that's how far you want to take it and it does work on that level and much of secular mindfulness is about stress reduction and keeping, you know, you calm and quiet and so that you're not quite as disturbed. <laughs> okay, so that's fine if, if that's where you want to go. But the invitation that is being offered here is to move it deeper if you so wish. Because if you, when you, what happens is very interesting. As you get more sensitive to pain you bring your meditation down to that level of sensitivity and say, Oh my God, you know, I thought I was all right here. I thought 30 minutes a day was going to do it or whatever. But now I see that there's another rubbing level here that I've got to address. And then it just keeps taking you like that. And now all of a sudden you're a nun in Burma. (laughs) No, (laughs) you can be a working mom in Seattle okay you don't have to go to Burma, but you do have to have the intention to move it towards its completion you do have to have that not just keep it under maintenance so now active ignorance i want to talk a little bit about because we're all do that where you're doing something that you know better about and you're doing it anyway yeah, there are a lot of heads that are nodding here. So, all right. So, you know, you know, even your dharma has shown you certain things and you go ahead and do them anyway. Right? Now, let me tell you about karma implications. When you are completely ignorant before you move towards greater awareness, there are karmic implications for being immoral and Uh, lying and doing all the things that most of us do when we're not aware at all. But then when you invite awareness in, you are establishing a course and intentionality for yourself. And if you know that you're not supposed to do that, and you do it anyway, the karma rises considerably. Exponentially, the implications of that. It's time you heard that. Because we take it too lightly, we don't live our realization. We don't show up for what we know to be true about ourselves. We placate ourselves. We 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 rationalize it. You know, it's like, uh, and you find yourself in the same bitter, tense intensity, or reactivity, even though you you felt the whole thing coming and you knew the frame of reference, the thoughts that were occurring, the narrative, you were, all of that you've looked at sufficiently and you've known it's nonsense, and yet there you are again. Now, some of that is inevitable. You can be in a very strong pattern and be in the middle of it and know that the pattern is going just to make you crazy and you don't have enough to to release it, and it just pulls you in. So some of that. But some of it, when you when you take the Dharma, if if you take what I was saying and you take it to the nth degree and then you become very, very aware and you start manipulating people from that awareness. The Buddha said it's like when when you use the Dharma adharmically against the flow, it's like picking up the tail of a poisonous snake. You don't want to do that. So the more conscious you become, the more honest and open you have to also become you have to live the truth of what you're experiencing, and you'll be you'll see teachers if you move long enough in this journey who will manipulate you from that clarity, who will use it to, to their advantage so the implications for them karmically i wouldn't want to know but even at the level of our awareness you want us live your realization just live it don't live don't move and lean keep leaning into your ignorant side now there are two telltale signs that ignorance is active one i've mentioned and that is tension or resistance And many of us get a sense of the tension in us that continues to wake us up and give us some sense of how conditioning, we're just operating out of conditions in that moment, we're just operating out of habit, we're not being aware at all, we're just glossing over everything, and tension is the result of that. And when you're not blaming yourself or others for that tension, then there should be a curiosity that comes and says, what's going on here? Why is this tension? What is this tension that's occurring? It's it's a question that brings awareness to ignorance and begins to dispel the ignorance by showing us the causes of the tension. So that's an important thing. But the other telltale Mm -hmm. sign is one that you might not expect, and that's complexity. I picked that intentionally because many of our practices are so complex. We've made them so detailed. And if you start reading the, you know, the edits and the anthologies and all of the Buddhist literature, all of the years and years of, of, of summaries and all of that on the literature, you, you, you just, it just feels very complex to you. And you start wondering, you know, it also, it's, God, I, I, this, is too, this is too much. It feels like that when I start reading some of the many, many, many things that people are doing in their spiritual lives. It's like, wow, it's just too much. It too, feels too complicated. And that should be, that's also a sign for us to know that that's ignorance. You see, the Dharma is very accessible. It's Mm -hmm. very simple. It's very simple. It's the simplest thing. And when we, it's the mind that keeps bringing a new configuration to that simplicity. So all of a sudden I don't need just to do this, but I need to do that and then this leads to that and I have to do that and then this and then, my God, I have to do that too. This is very simple. What's complicated about seeing? It's very simple. You see, so keep it simple. And know that when it starts getting complex, you know that ignorance is driving that complexity. Now, that's not only true for your Dharma practice. It's also true for your life. Drama, that's just mentally derived. You know, your life can be very simple. Ellen and I have a very simple life. I mean, it's not complicated. And, And it's the one I want. You know, I don't want it to become this. There's no drama in this song. Have you noticed that? I mean, there, each one of you have drama, but there isn't like affairs going on that I know of. At least it's not coming from me. <laughs> it's very simple. You know, it's not complicated. You come, you know, you come, you go, you go. That's fine. You come back. That's fine too. It's like very simple. Everything should have that feel to it. Just coming, going. That's it. Showing up, looking, seeing. I don't want to go tonight. Don't go tonight. Fine. Come. I want to go next week. Come next. It's, <laughs> it's. It's all great. That's fine. You see, it should. It has to be entirely. I'm trying to show you something here. It has to be entirely up to you. Entirely up to you. That makes it genuine because it's simple. Now. What subs for complexity in spiritual work, listen carefully, is subtlety. Because the Buddha was an ascetic monk, he had had laser-like vision. I mean, he could see stuff that was like, you know, atoms or something. I don't know what he could see, but he could see very small. And so he just started talking from what he saw. Now the rest of us come along and we don't have that I don't know what, six years of ascetic practices and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, You know, where John is all, but the literature is full of that because that's what he did and you're going to teach what you did. We keep ascribing omniscience to him, but he's going to teach what he did. He's not going to know 3,000 years ahead of him what you need to know and then he's going to teach retroactively that He's not going to do that. He's going to teach what he knew then. And we listen and we think we should be just like him. It's nonsense. Here's the system. When you're hurting, you look. You receive the information. You look and you look and you see. And when you begin to understand what you're doing to yourself, how you're investing ignorance Confusion into your life, you stop it. You don't stop it from will. You stop it because why would you keep your hand in, in a flame? The compassionate, heartfelt thing to do is to pull it out. That's not aversion. That's heart. And so, too, when you see yourself hurting and you understand why sufficiently, because most of us have not seen sufficiently, and it's not sufficiently subtle. I'm not talking about seeing at the atomic level. I mean sufficiently, so that you know when you have this narrative, or any narrative, that you're gonna go astray. When you've seen your thoughts to such a degree that you realize that thoughts are based in ignorance. When you see out of your eyes that the perception you have of self here and other there is based in ignorance. That's not the truth of things. Then you start releasing the need to continue to perceive that way. And that's what does it. It's disenchantment with the ways that you we have been operating that leads to surrendering those ways. That can be at a very gross level or it can be at a very subtle level. The importance is not the subtlety or refinement that we see, it's the willingness to let go that determines our freedom. I don't have to know the atomic makeup of a fire to keep my hand out of it. You just, that's it, you see? And so I don't want anyone in this room to get discouraged because they can't go on retreat for long duration. This is within everyone's ability here. That's what I, if there's a, if there's a problem, it's your doubt in that fact. I keep, I, every week I sit up here and say that to you. But I can't, I can't inquire or be curious about your doubt. You have to be curious about your doubt to want to see it, to uproot this thing because it's blocking much of your persuasion, much of your confidence that would lead you forth. This is accessible. So complexity and subtlety. So, I mean, really, when we're talking about simplicity, we're really talking about the fundamentals of Dharma. That's what I did a whole year on the fundamentals of Dharma, not just to have something to say, but because that's the most important thing to say. You know, get, if you get the fundamentals down... I mean, the Buddha taught, taught for, like, I don't know, 50 years or something. We well, you aren't going to say the same thing every time, and he's in front of much of the same audience every time. He's going to come up with different things to say, like I try to do. So he's going to get into all the things he's been seeing over the years. But the first thing he said was the four noble truths. That's what, if he died right after that, he would have had his teaching in place. Those are the fundamentals. That was what was important. And what we think, we're sophisticated. Our idea of of how we have to master this it's so sophisticated, and we think, you know, okay, I got the, I got those down, I got the basics down. What's the next step? You know, I want to go on to college. Well, stay with what you have and just keep exploring it. And you see, what we show, what I'm trying to show you, is that when you're off, you come to a lecture or you read something or you have some, and, and it shows you something about your practice or the nature of your life that says, beware of this, because it means that ignorance is driving the equation. You go, oh, okay, so let me, oh God, I wasn't even realizing I was doing that. And then you start to become aware of that, and that puts you, moves you forward. So I want to talk a little bit about the structuring laws how we structure laws to fit our ignorance. These are not laws of life. These are laws that we have structured so that our ignorance works. Right? The first one is morality. Right? It's like saying, you know, it's like life should be fair. Right? Big fish should not eat small fish. Well, it isn't like okay let me look and see if i if, if these laws i'm i'm structuring have any relevance to the truth of reality no that one doesn't throw it out okay and you just okay so that quantity trumps quality doesn't it it's like getting to what i want beats the process of getting there i don't care about getting there i care about getting it so the quality of my life is secondary to the quantity of what I gain from it. Except we've missed life when we live in that structure. So check that one off. Throw it out. Because we're not even living when we're just living from towards the product of where we're going. Throw it out. I'm just showing you the way ignorance forms itself here. Results trump connection. Right? So connecting with something isn't as important as the results I have in persuading or whatever I am that I'm trying to do. Again, it's life is lived through connection. It's through actually tuning in to what is occurring, not just thinking in terms again of the results or the product or the reward that I'm going to get from doing this. We think too often in terms of the reward. As I was mentioning, when I'm on this elliptical machine, you know, if I think of the reward for me when I'm on that elliptical, the reward for me is getting off it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like doing it, but I do it because it keeps me healthy. So I feel myself get all tense as soon as I have a reward. And as soon as I know that, I release the tension and I come back to the unpleasant feeling of doing the exercise. And as soon as my mind loses that basis of seeing, it goes back to the reward. It's just like that. And then the tension comes in again. And I don't care how many times I release the tension. If I don't release the view that holds me to the reward, I'm going to continue to be tense. I don't care how many massage therapists are in the room. I trumps you, doesn't it? From this vantage point, oh, come on now. Everybody's head should be moving here. <laughs> I trumps you. Even if you think you're being altruistic and generous, you're doing it because it feels good for you to do it. This thing, the funnel of this thing only comes in like this. All right, As the heart relaxes and as the sense of self sense of self is seen and is released, then the you becomes important. It's not just I-centered living. But up until that point, we're really fooling ourselves to believe that we don't live in that fashion. This takes extraordinary honesty. Permanence trumps impermanence. Yeah, I'll live forever, won't I? I don't have to think about 10 years from now i mean i i can think about 10 years from now because there's no chance that at 76 that i'll be dead or is there see i say to you see you later what does that see you later mean what i'm establishing you as something that's going to be fixed and around for my next scene. On and on. I'm just showing you some of the laws. There are many of these. Ignorance-based laws. And then, of course, the sense of me as being something substantial and solid. And we've talked so much about that I'm not going to labor the point besides the fact that the time is nigh. But this is the invitation of curiosity here. Don't be afraid of this. You lose nothing. You gain everything in this. You lose nothing. You don't, loo- you don't wander around you know, aimlessly, sitting on park benches, wondering where home is. You don't, that's not the way it looks. Don't be afraid of it. Now, how to counter ignorance? I said awareness, right? But then you must want and intend it, I've said over and over again. Awareness without intention is going to be based in ignorance because it's only the intention of the heart that will drive it out of ignorance, out of its habit. But it's so comfortable just being you know lying back watching TV like that so why why shake myself up God there's just some. Oh, I don't think I right? Hasn't that dialogue monologue happened in all of you? I don't really oh, do I want to sit kind of, uh, must want it you have to intend it must experience it firsthand and not through thought or authority. This is not something you can come and it's not a contact sport, right? You can come and listen and and take away what someone else who's sitting up here knows as your own. You have to see it. You can listen and see as you're hearing. The Buddha said that insight also comes from listening as well as meditating as well as speaking. I have many insights as I speak. But you can't assume that you can jot it down or take notes and then take it back to your house and that will be your wisdom unless you're willing to really look and inquire into it. Investigate it. See whether it has a living truth for you. And then it becomes your own. And stop holding ourselves back because we're timid the requires us to just jump into this thing, all of us, come on, you know, what do we want to do, live in ignorance or you want to live in awareness? How is it, when you look at it like that, I'm going to be unconscious, I decide to be unconscious the rest of my life. <laughs> Nobody wants that. But if you don't intend it, that's exactly what will occur unless you intend conscious living you will live unconsciously that's a promise so you may not want it when it's set up as a opposite consciousness or unconscious I'll take consciousness as long as I don't have to change as long as it doesn't intrude well if our life is based in ignorance and seeing is the solution it's going to create Change, Because it's going to see, consciously, what we're doing distortedly. And you're not going to be able to compa- keep doing that. When you see it, you say, oh, I'm not doing that anymore. And you take it, you, you realize that you have to take life on its terms. You can't negotiate it. Life is not negotiable. It has a single display called this moment, called now, called immediacy. It's a single display, it's single face, and we have to concede to that face moment after moment. That's what's required. Because if you don't, if you put anything between yourself, there's nothing between you and life. Let's get that point first. If you place something between you and life, you place ignorance between you and life. Because that's the only thing that you can place between you and living. Because there's nothing there except your imagination. That there is something. So when you get that point, you don't hold yourself back anymore. You go, okay, I'm diving in. And that ends my bondage with denial. That ends it. I'm willing to look at anything. It may take me a little time to slap myself around. Come on, splash water. Okay, let me see it. But you're, we all have to be willing to see, willing to look. And not self-effacingly, like not self-blaming. Oh, God, I knew this was... You know, that's just doing what the Buddha was saying. It's like this. It's not this. It's like looking. It's looking. Seeing, curious. Oh, wow, I can't believe. Wow, look at that. So here we are together that's what we're doing dispelling ignorance. If people think you're in some kind of cult just tell them no I'm dispelling ignorance. <laughs> Maybe so for us all. Can we sit for a moment or two? <laughs> First, I want you to form an intention for yourself, conscious or unconscious. Don't equivocate, because that's one or the other. Okay? Which is your life going to go towards? Which, 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 where is it going to be focused? And I'm not saying that you have to rip yourself out. and just, just what is your life going to say on the tomb? An unconscious woman, man, or a conscious woman or man? Lived as best he could, or lived like everyone else. <laughs> Think about your epitaph. Okay, any questions or comments? Yes. Uh, who? Kapasa, when started, Kas, Kasapa. Kasapa was talking to the Buddha. He, he asked him if the, sense of, if the self was the cause of suffering, and the Buddha says no. And the, but then he says that, that ignorance is the cause of suffering. What's the distinction there between ignorance and something? No, you're you I understand the question. The question he says is, when Kasapa was talking to the Buddha, he said. Buddha says, "Am I the cause of my suffering?" And the Buddha said, "No." And is, are others the cause of my suffering? And the Buddha says, "No." Uh, ignorance is the cause of your suffering. You see, the assumption of of me that I, I'm to blame for all my woes, right? That I'm not good enough, I'm inadequate, is not the cause of your suffering. It's not that you're there's something missing in you is the reason that you're suffering. That's what he meant, right? He meant that the that ignorance, or using it in a more subtle way, the belief that I am someone who I should blame is really the cause of the suffering, right? So So that, that's, so we, we have to be very careful. I call it radical accountability. When you simply do not point fingers, whatever direction you're pointing is pointing in terms of ignorance. If I point to you, it's because I've shaped the world and misperceived it as being separate and distant from me. That's a misperception, therefore I can't really blame you for my problems because that's just blaming my ignorance of my perception, of my distorted perception, you see? So I'm not going to do that, I'm just not going to blame. That means I have to hold it and be curious about what's going on here because it still feels like suffering to me even though I'm not blaming it on someone anymore. And so is there a cause to this suffering that doesn't have a finger pointed at it? Right? And it is it's confusion it 's not understanding it's not seeing that's what the that's why it's that 's why there's this tension in me right all of us know that I mean you go to massage therapists and they start finding areas of your body and you feel this release happening and you may even have memories that are coming those are areas that we have cordoned off from our consciousness that at some point become we get so driven by the repressed tension contained within that area that we seek therapies for and suddenly we begin to see oh I've just I, I've never really admitted how guilty I felt or whatever it is and, then you, and there's this whole catharsis as that is released and you come more into yourself more relaxed into yourself you see so other questions It, um, something that, that kept coming up for me during the talk tonight is that um it seems that to alleviate ignorance is to not know. Is to have to not know which is you know kind of like a, a weird juxtaposition. There. To not know is to alleviate ignorance. So he says it seems to him that what kept coming up for him in the course of the talk was that the release of ignorance is not knowing. Okay, so you hear a lot in Dharma circles about not knowing. What does that mean in terms of its configuration, knowing in configuration to emptiness, or or, or knowing in configuration to ignorance? Well, okay, as soon as I know something, first of all, let's be clear that somebody who lives in not knowing has not forgotten all of their information. It's just that they're not focusing on life from that attitude of knowing, of the certainty of knowing, okay? It's not that I forget your name when I'm living and not knowing. I know it perfectly well, but I'm not focused on you as that exclusively, right? There's much more, right? So you don't forget where to sit. You don't forget how to sit. But what you do forget is the fixation, the way the mind locks on each individual thing as being a particular thing only. And that secures the mind so that it feels safe within what it knows. And also keeps the configuration of the world as being externalized, because I know about it, to the person who knows about it, right? So as we start moving our awareness into these, this derivation of self and other, you begin to see that the knowing factor itself keeps these things from coming together. That the more I know about something, it keeps it distant from me, in terms of true connectedness. And so as I release the need to know it as only how I know it, aware, it begins to spread out. It begins to, instead of being a cotton ball, it spreads out so that you can see light through it. And then it can be what it, you've known it to be, or the person you know, but it can also be much more. And it doesn't, you no longer configure the world to be individual and isolated things of knowing at all. So that it, it can only come back in that state of not knowing as true connection, all right? Now that seems paradoxical when I also say I can say a, hello, Joe, hi, Tom, see you later, Mary, and not lose that perception but that's that's the truth, yes. Okay, that's a very, it's a very subtle question, actually. So her question is, you know, sometimes she sees herself blaming herself and not ignorance for all the ways that she acts. And whether that is taking full responsibility. is that what you're... Yes, and whether, when you were just talking about the cotton ball, Right. Yes, good. That's that's taking responsibility. That's exactly right. Taking responsibility is not denying what it is that's going on in you. It's not associating what's going on in you in a personal or identified way. So it's greed that's occurring. Let me look at the greed, not blame myself for the greed. Do you see? So you say, okay, well, here's an example. Like you find yourself doing something wrong and then you find yourself blaming yourself for it and then you think oh i shouldn't be blaming myself i should be blaming ignorance which is another name for you so you haven't gotten out of it <laughs> you're just bl- <laughs> you're just pointing a finger again it's, so that's not exactly the way we want to go what we want to do is we want to say okay well i'm blaming myself because i'm i'm blaming myself because i'm in such i'm in per- there's personal pain there's a psychological way that I hold myself in life. This is not blame, this is inquiry. You say, oh, I see, I think of myself, there's something wrong with me. That's how I move through life, is that, that I move with the attitude that there's something wrong with me. And therefore, whenever something does go wrong, of course, I assume it to be me because I hold this attitude about myself. Now you see that, you're not blaming yourself. You see, you're looking at the how blame occurs. Does that make sense to you? It's very important. So you're not blaming yourself for the shame and guilt. You're looking at how blame occurs. It comes from the source of pain of you believing you're a mistake in life, that there's something wrong with you. And you say, okay, let me look at that sense of there's something being wrong with me. And you you feel how embedded that assumption is in virtually everything we do and you say okay I want to make that aware I'm going to be aware of that I'm just going to every time it comes up I'm just going to invite it to, uh, to invite consciousness into it and soon that not soon but over time that pain begins to resolve itself because the assumptions embedded of it in it are no longer believed and suddenly you find that the source of the reason that you blame is no longer there either because the, so- the reason you were blaming is because you thought of yourself as a continual mistake. So if that doesn't make sense, please I invite an invitation to come see me as an, in an interview. Because you are looking very inquisitively at me. <laughs> but it's a very important point and I don't have the time right now to explain it any further than I just did. But taking yourself apart does not necessarily mean that you're hating yourself while you're doing it, even as you're seeing the sources of your pain and the assumptions that have been driving your life the entire way. It's like, what's it like? I don't know what it's like. It's like uh, having a some creature that you're terribly afraid of and then you're dissecting it in a biological laboratory and it's not the same thing as it was when it was right so when we start looking at ourselves and where all this the patterns that have driven us we're not doing it from a sense of of antagonism or self-contempt we're doing it from curiosity wow this so this is what's been driving me my whole life isn't that amazing it's because i think of myself as as being a mistake a walking mistake and then you, get, you say, okay, so that's ignorance working. So I want to invite consciousness in to the feeling of me being a mistake. I want to invite myself to be aware of the sense of being a mistake. Not so that I can get over that, just because, because I'm curious about it and want to understand it. That's the reason. Yes? Oh, the same idea, but from the blaming perspective, someone's done you wrong. How do you deal with that? Someone says you're wrong? Someone has done something bad to you, you. Right. How do you deal with not blaming them? How do you blame someone who has wronged you? Yes. How do you work with that? Yes. Um, well, you know, that's forgiveness, right? So, what does it mean to forgive, basically? Well, that you you're going to find that you can forgive others directly proportional to your understanding of who you are. And I don't mean that in some kind of manipulative, spiritual, you know, it's absolutely true. That you're going to hold the sense of context that you're going to create the problem with the person as you, proportional to your knowing yourself as that same thing. And as your practice deepens, and you don't take yourself quite as solidly co- collected, then you'll see that, you know, the behaviors, the person cannot be summed. Their character cannot be summed by the summation of their character. You see, that a person is more than the sum of their character of their behaviors. is said it differently. So. You know, there are lots of forgiveness meditations out there. Some of the best ones are by Stephen Levine, if you're interested. But if you have that going, you don't force yourself to forgive. You invite a deeper understanding of yourself that allows forgiveness of others. Okay, Okay, that's what we have tonight, so I want to thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org